As Brother Mike said, we are happy to have each one of you here today for our Sunday morning worship period. Today is a holiday weekend, but you didn't take a holiday from worship. That's you're to be commended. So um, we're glad to have you today. If you're visiting with us, we're glad to have you come back anytime that you can worship with us here at McCoynsville. story is told about a a young boy who came home from Sunday school and church services and he was asked by his father, who was not a Christian, what he had learned that day in Sunday school class. And the boy said, well, our teacher told us how God sent Moses behind enemy lines on a rescue mission to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. When he got to the Red Sea, he had his engineers build a pontoon bridge and all the Israelites walked across safely. Then he used his walkie-talkie to radio headquarters and, and call in an airstrike. Then he sent in bombers to blow up the bridge and destroy the Egyptian army. So his father listened, and then he asked him, now, is that really what your teacher taught you today? And the boy said, well, no, but if I told it the way the teacher did, you wouldn't believe it. And you know that's how it is sometimes for some people. They have a hard time believing what the Bible really says about many things. And especially what it says about Jesus about Jesus. This morning, we're continuing the sermon series that we started last month on the first Sunday on the subject, questions that deserve answers. The questions that we're studying and going to study in this series are not trivial questions, but they are basic foundational questions that relate to the Christian faith and salvation and the church. In that first sermon last month, we, we studied and examined the all-important question, is the Bible truly the Word of God? And we study the internal and the external evidence that it is indeed what we believe it to be, the inspired Word of God. So the question that we're thinking about and answering and studying today is an equally important question. And you know, it's a question that we, I guess we don't often hear an entire sermon preached 
on this subject. It's the question, was Jesus truly the Son of God? The question of who Jesus really was is a question that deserves to be answered in every heart, in every mind. Every person must decide who they believe he was and is. To worship him, if he is not divine, is idolatry. And to fail to worship him and follow him, if he is divine, is sacrilege of the highest degree. So, who was and who is Jesus? Was he just a good man and a good teacher? Or was he indeed God in the flesh, the divine Son of God? Now, I'm not a mind reader, but there might be those here today who are thinking right now that a sermon on this subject is really unnecessary, a waste of our time. Because everyone knows that Jesus is the divine Son of God. Everyone today understands that and believes that. Right? Well, that assumption is not true. Not true. Wrong ideas and questions about Jesus have been around for a long time. They've been around since his earthly ministry. For example, in John chapter 7, in that one chapter, there are five different answers, five different answers given to the question, who is Jesus? In verse 12, he was a good man. <clears throat> In that same verse, he was a deceiver. In verse 20, he was a demon-possessed man. In verses 26 and 41, he is the Christ. And in verse 40, he was the prophet. A survey taken back in 2020, two years ago, a survey found that 52% of American adults today believe that Jesus was not and is not divine and not the Son of God. 52%, over half. Does that surprise you? It surprised me when I read that survey. 
And nearly one-third of the people in that survey who call themselves evangelicals, nearly one-third of them believe that Jesus is not divine and not the Son of God. In Matthew chapter 21, <clears throat> when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, just one week before his crucifixion, the Jews hailed him as a great military hero who would save them from Roman occupation. But when they found out that Jesus was not going to do that, they turned against him. They called him a blasphemer and they demanded his crucifixion. Devout Jews around the world today who follow Judaism accept Jesus as a teacher, but they do not believe that he is the Messiah or the Son of God. And they deny that the resurrection of Jesus ever happened. They believe the Messiah has not yet come. And when he comes, he'll be a political leader who will drive out their enemies from their homeland. Today, there are about 15 million Jews worldwide who follow and practice Judaism. Muslims today who follow Islam believe that Jesus was a teacher and a prophet, but they deny that he was the Son of God. Today there are about 2 billion Muslims worldwide. Hindus today believe that Jesus was a, a great teacher, but they believe that he is, he is just one little G God among many and not the Son of God. Today there are about one billion Hindus worldwide. So while all of us here today in this room would probably be quick to say that Jesus is indeed the divine Son of God, you see there are many, many others today who don't believe that. Everyone in the world doesn't believe that. Everyone in America doesn't believe that. Everyone in Tennessee doesn't believe that. And I dare say that everyone in Jackson County doesn't believe that. So, if you were asked by any of those people why, why, you believe that Jesus is the divine Son of God, as the old song asks, what would your answer be? What will you do 
with Jesus. Could you make any defense for what you believe? Now, before you say, oh, 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 we don't need to make a defense, in 1 Peter 3.15, Peter says, always be ready to give a, look at it, defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. Our hope should be in Jesus and who he is and what he did for us on the cross. So today in this sermon, we're going to spend some time looking at some of the evidence that will prove, without a doubt, that Jesus was and is the divine Son of God. And if you're a note taker, I hope that you can jot down a few notes maybe off the screen so that you could make that defense if necessary. The statements of the New Testament evangelist about Jesus are crystal clear. For example, in the text that Mike read in Matthew chapter 16, near Caesarea Philippi, after Jesus had asked his disciples who they believed him to be, Peter spoke up and declared in verse 16, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And in response to Peter's declaration, Jesus answered in verse 18, on this rock, and that's Peter's declaration, not Peter himself. On this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. In Acts 4 verse 12, Peter addressed the Sanhedrin, the Jewish high court, and he said, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. In Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul wrote this, Therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now those declarations and others about Jesus those were not made by misguided religious fanatics against his will. Those declarations made by them were an extension, you could say, of the claims that he had made for himself. For example, in John 8, 58, 
Jesus identified himself with the Old Testament patriarchs like Abraham. Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. In Mark 2, verse 5, Jesus claimed the authority to forgive sins. Now, that was an authority that only God alone could have. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. In John 10, verse 30, Jesus dared to say, I and my Father are one. And then the Jews accused him of blasphemy and they picked up stones to stone him. When Jesus stood face to face with Caiaphas, the Jewish high priest, Caiaphas said to him in Matthew 26, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ the Son of God. And to that direct challenge, Jesus answered, It is as you said. In John chapter 4, when Jesus had a conversation with a Samaritan woman at a well, she said to him in verse 25, I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And in the next verse, Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Now, claims of that magnitude cannot be ignored. They're either true or they're false. They have to be believed or rejected. So in the rest of the sermon today, I want us to look first at the historical reality of Jesus. And then we're going to look at the evidence that should lead us and others to believe and to know that Jesus was and is the divine Son of God. So first of all, the historical reality of Jesus. In other words, did Jesus actually live as a person on this earth? Was he real? How do we know? In 1 Corinthians 15... When the Apostle Paul made his case for the resurrection of Jesus, Paul mentioned several different people who had seen Jesus alive after the resurrection. In that chapter, Paul wrote that Jesus was seen by Cephas, that's Peter, then by the twelve, after that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen, Paul says, by me also. 
So what was Paul's point in what he said there? He was really saying that if somebody wants to know what really happened with the resurrection, they could ask the eyewitnesses. Ask the eyewitnesses. In 2 Peter 1.16, the Apostle Peter wrote, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now, if we accept the Bible as God's inspired word, as we studied in the last lesson in this series, then we must accept what Paul and Peter and others said as the truth of what happened. You know, we don't hear much today about people doubting the historical reality of Jesus. But sometimes, otherwise intelligent people will doubt that Jesus ever actually lived. And they may suggest that he was just a, just a myth, a fictional, made-up character. Our primary sources for information about Jesus or the four Gospels. But you know, we could actually, we could actually make a, a, a fairly complete outline of his life from pagan, Roman, and Jewish historians. But let's begin first with the evidence of the Bible itself. The 27 books in the New Testament and a great deal of Old Testament prophecy speak powerfully and clearly about Jesus. And nowhere, nowhere does the Bible say or imply or suggest that Jesus was a myth. The inspired writers of the New Testament are completely trustworthy. Men like Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, James, Peter, and Jude. Right there in that list, right there is your eight inspired writers of the New Testament. With the exception of the writer of Hebrews, which might have been one of those eight, like Paul. You could say they were cross-examined like no other writers in history. They were cross-examined with the sword, the whip, and the cross. They were persecuted as no other writers have ever been before or since. And their testimony has stood the test. The New Testament writers emphasize Jesus' flesh and blood 
existence. They often mention that they were eyewitnesses of Christ. They listened to him talk and teach. They touched him. They ate meals with him. They knew him well. And he was by no means a myth to any of them. But the Bible is not the only testimony to Jesus having lived on this earth. There are at least 19 early pagan Roman writers who refer to Jesus as an actual, real-life person. And they weren't the only ones outside of Christianity to acknowledge the historical reality of Jesus. Several Jewish writers also mention Jesus' flesh and blood, real-life existence. There was a highly respected Jewish writer and historian named Josephus, born in A.D. 37 who wrote about Jesus in his history of the Jews. There is no evidence of anyone in the first centuries after Jesus lived who ever even questioned whether he was an actual, real, historical person. So the evidence is all on the side of Christianity. Let's take a tally. 27 books of the New Testament, 19 pagan Roman writers, and several Jewish writers, all of them testified to the historical reality of Jesus. So those first century Christians did not follow a cunningly devised fable, as Peter put it, but a real person, a real person. They were, as Peter said, eyewitnesses of his majesty. Secondly, let's look at the evidence of Jesus' divinity, that Jesus was truly the Son of God. First piece of evidence for the divinity of Jesus was his impact on history. You know, it would not be an exaggeration to say that the greatest miracle in the history of the world is the coming of Jesus Christ to this earth and the impact that he has had on the human race. There is a, a written tribute to the importance of Jesus over the centuries and the impact that his life has had on world history. The writer, the author of this is unknown, but the title is One Solitary Life, and it deserves to be read. And it goes like this. 
He was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another village where he worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. Then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never had a family or owned a home. He didn't go to college. He never lived in a big city. He never traveled 200 miles from the place where he was born. He did none of the things that usually accompany greatness. He had no credentials but himself. He was only 33 when the tide of public opinion turned against him. His friends ran away and left him. One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies and went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. While he was dying, his executioners gambled for his garments, the only property he had on earth. When he was dead, he was laid in a barred grave through the pity of a friend. Twenty centuries have come and gone, and today he is the central figure of the human race. I am well within the mark when I say that all the armies that ever marched, all the navies that ever sailed, all the parliaments that ever sat, all the kings that ever reigned, put together, have not affected the life of man on this earth as much as that one solitary life. There has been only one Jesus of Nazareth. And the Bible declares to us that he is the divine Son of God. A second piece of evidence for his divinity was his personal sinlessness. You know, if God were to take human form and walk among us on this earth, what kind of character would you expect to see? He would surely demonstrate the kind of life and character that Jesus of Nazareth displayed. He would be without sin himself, and he would have righteous anger by the sin around him. But he would be compassionate toward the victims of sin. Jesus hated sin. But he loved the people who were often captive to it. Jehovah God, <clears throat> walking among his human creation, would have dealt with sin exactly as Jesus dealt with it. In 1 Peter 2.22, Peter testified to the sinless perfection of Jesus, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. 
In John 3, verse 5, John did the same thing when he said, And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. His character was fully consistent with his claims. A third piece of evidence for the divinity of Jesus was that he claimed and showed the characteristics of deity. On a number of different occasions, Jesus spoke about his eternal existence. Like in John 16, 28, I came forth from the Father. John 1, verse 3, speaks about his authority over all creation. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Jesus spoke about his ability to be everywhere, to know everything, to have all power. Like in Matthew 28, 18. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Jesus claimed that he was the ultimate judge of mankind. Like in John 9, 39. For judgment I have come into this world. Jesus claimed the power to forgive sins. Like in Matthew 9, verse 2. He said, Some be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. And also in Luke 7, 48. Then he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. All of those powers and characteristics point to his being divine. A fourth piece of evidence for the divinity of Jesus is the fulfillment of prophecy in his life. You know, there are over 400 prophecies in the Old Testament that point to the coming of the Messiah and to his life and death. And Jesus Christ perfectly fulfilled every single one of them. Now the odds of someone doing that who was not the Messiah are too great to, to calculate. A fifth piece of evidence for the divinity of Jesus is the creation and establishment of his church and the changed lives of his followers. The church, which is made up of Christ's true followers, the church has been persecuted for centuries, and yet it still today proclaims the simple message that Jesus is the divine Son of God and salvation is found only in him and through him. You know, if Jesus had just been a man, the church would not have been able to withstand everything that it's gone through. If Jesus had just been a man, then we would not see lives changed because of faith, faith in and obedience to him. 
one of the most dramatic conversions in the New Testament was that of Saul of Tarsus in Acts chapter 9. This man actively and viciously persecuted Christians and the church until Jesus miraculously appeared to him on the Damascus Road. And Saul was transformed into the Apostle Paul. And a final, very strong piece of evidence for the divinity of Jesus would have to be his miracles. The Gospels record at least 35 episodes involving miracles done by Jesus. The Gospels record Jesus healing people that were afflicted with fevers, leprosy, paralysis. He restored sight to the blind. He could stop storms. He could multiply food supplies. Otherwise control nature. He even raised people from the dead. And all those miracles were not performed with, with ceremony and theatrics and special effects, but naturally and with ease. They were done with high motives and never, never, ever for selfish gain. And they were done in public, in front of eyewitnesses, so as to invite people to check out what had happened. The miracles of Jesus were demonstrations of his love for frightened and hurting people. And they were done and designed to confirm that he was indeed the divine Son of God. The most critical miracles associated with Jesus' life are the ones that began and ended his life on this earth. The virgin birth of Jesus, the bodily resurrection from the dead, the ascension of Jesus into heaven. So back to the question that we asked earlier. What will you do with Jesus? Is the evidence for his divinity strong and convincing? Actually, we're not left with many options. People must decide if Jesus was crazy or was a deceiver, or was telling the truth. You know, Jesus can only be one, one of these three. Liar, lunatic, or Lord.
stories told about a preacher who was preaching in a gospel meeting. And a man who was not a Christian came up to him after the service. And the man said to him, the man said, I don't like the way you focus on the crucifixion of Jesus and the idea that he is our Savior. The man said, I think that instead of emphasizing the death of Christ, it'd be a lot better to preach about Jesus as a great teacher, an example. Well, the preacher was a, a quick thinker. And he said to this man, if I preach Christ in that way, would you be willing to follow him and obey him? And the man said without hesitation, I certainly would, absolutely. Preacher said, all right then. Let's look at step one. Jesus had no sin. Can you claim that for yourself? The man said, why no? I admit that I do sin. Preacher then said to him, then your first and greatest need is a savior not a teacher or an example, a savior. Oh, how we need a perfect, divine savior. How this world today needs a perfect, divine savior. Praise God that Jesus is just that. If you're not a Christian today, if you're not a member of the church that Jesus built, have you decided that Jesus is truly the Son of God and that you want to follow him and obey him? I hope so. If you're ready and willing today to believe in him, that he is the Christ, if you're ready to repent of your sins, if you're ready to confess that he is indeed the Son of God, and if you're ready to be baptized, immersed in water for the remission of sins, then we encourage you to do that today while there is still time. And if you've already been scripturally baptized into Christ for the remission of sins, then you made the great confession before your baptism that you believe that Jesus is the divine Son of God. But maybe you haven't been faithful to that confession. Maybe there's public sin in your life that needs to be confessed today in a public way. And you can do that today while there is still time.
because none of us have the promise of tomorrow. Today, what shall your answer be? As together we stand and sing.